Turn your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. I want to speak tonight, maybe not long, on the subject, a promise that was not broken. A promise that was not broken. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the thrill that we've had tonight and just praising you and loving you and hearing about that amazing grace that we'll live forever because of Calvary. That Jesus is a rock in a weary land. That if we'll just take our burden, our sins to him, things will be different. Thank you for the testimony, not only in singing, but the very life, lives themselves offered on the altar of God. And we're thankful that it does grow sweeter as the years go by. And that Jesus is a covert in the tempests of life, and he'll be with us till the storm passes by. And so teach us to trust you and love you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now the words of this verse, Genesis 3.15, are words that most of you have marked in your Bibles. They're the words that God gave to Satan after Satan had caused by temptation Eve to fall from her state of innocence. And she in turn gave to Adam and he did eat forbidden fruit. And together they went into sin. And when God came walking in the cool of the garden, he said, Adam, where art thou? And Adam was hiding in the bushes. You know, men hide from God, but you really can't hide from God. They run from God, but it's a futile race because God is always there. Adam, where art thou? And in that moment there flashed before Adam's thoughts and eyes the friendship and the joy that he had had with God. He had walked with God and talked with God, and now all that was gone. And there was a barrier between them, and he was afraid of God. And then God said to the serpent, the words of this text, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, thou shalt bruise his heel. Now, which is a worse wound, the heel wound or the head wound? Obviously, the head wound. If you'll notice that verse specifically, analyze it a moment, God was saying to the serpent, speaking to the serpent, which represents Satan, I will put enmity between thee and the woman. Interestingly enough, it didn't say between thee and the human race but between thee and the woman. The woman's seed will bruise thy head. Thy seed will bruise his heel. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later, Jesus was just about to go on trial. He said to his best friends, now is the heel 
of Satan lifted against me. Now this promise was made by God himself. It was made to the serpent. It was given to the serpent who represents Satan, the satanic forces, all the evil of the empire. All the evil forces gathered together and the person of Satan himself, Belial, Satan, the devil. But I want you to notice the promise was delayed. That delay caused discouragement and disparagement. It caused in some dis disbelief. It caused in others to dilute what they understood God to be saying. And someone wrote in the Proverbs, heart deferred maketh, uh, uh, hope deferred maketh the heart sick. And th all through the years that followed that promise, people were wondering, is that promise really going to be true? What does it mean? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Biologically, women do not have seed, men do. What did that mean? I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Now you can say that's just a poetic expression and you can say, well, that probably means that everybody that has ever been born, there will be enmity between uh, that person and Satan and so on. But this is a specific promise and I believe it has a literal fulfillment. But the fulfillment of that promise was long delayed. You search the rest of the pages of Genesis and you do not find it fulfilled. In the very next chapter, the Bible says that Adam and Eve again had a son and she called his name Seth because she said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. And some commentaries say what she is really saying is this is the fulfillment of that promise. But it wasn't. And you search the rest of the pages of Genesis and you find Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, the great patriarchs. And then you go into Exodus and find Moses and later on Joshua and then the 13 judges, 12 men and one woman. And then you go into the relations of the kings in 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles. And you see the writings of Ezra and Nehemiah and the sweet songs of David in the Psalms, the hymn book of the Old Testament. And then you read the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, and on and on and on. And you see them referring to something similar to the same promise, but it has not yet been fulfilled. And then there came a night of all nights. The shepherds were out there in the field keeping watch over their flock. And lo, an angel of the Lord appeared, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, a Deliverer, Christ the Lord. Christ, Christos, the Messiah. A fulfillment of Genesis 3. 
a fulfillment of the promises. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and thou shalt call his name Emmanuel. And the angel said, Yes, unto you is born this day in the city of David, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophets, a Savior, Christos, the Messiah, the Lord, a Savior, Christ, the Lord, those names signifying, if you search the Scriptures carefully, a fulfillment of all this Scripture has taught from Genesis to Malachi. But wait a minute. That promise is still not fulfilled. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, Thou shalt bruise his heel, but he shall bruise thy head. Jesus, God tabernacling in human flesh, became flesh in Nazareth. He was born in the lowly manger at Bethlehem. They fled to Egypt to avoid the tyranny and jealousy of King Herod. And then they came back and settled in Nazareth because Jesus was to be called the Nazarene. Out of Nazareth have I called my prophet. In those ensuing years, he touched blind eyes and caused them to see. He touched limbs that were lame and caused them to walk again. He interrupted funeral processions and raised dead people to life. Jesus was the friend of friends. He was everything Chris talked about. He was the friend of sinners. He was the friend of the cast outs. He was the friend of the lepers. He was a friend of the diseased. Jesus was the friend of all friends. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Jesus was all of that. And then, the tide of popular opinion turned against him. 5,000 had come to eat at the miracle time. Another time, 4,000. Crowds had gathered around him. But now they lead him out to Golgotha. The Son of God, wonderful, counselor, the mighty God, the Prince of Peace, led to an old rugged cross. Just a few hours before that, Jesus said, Now is the heel of Satan lifted against me. A promise made hundreds and hundreds of years before to the serpent, you will bruise his heel. And they put Jesus on a cross, lifted up between heaven and earth, and he who knew no sin became sin for us. 
They nailed those nails in his hands. Cruel. The flesh of the Son of God tore. And they put that cross up in its prepared hole and dropped it. And the flesh of God's only begotten loving Son tore and lacerations and bled. And the blood dripped down, forming a pool of blood at the foot of the cross that sinners plunged beneath that blood should lose all their guilty stains. Yes, Satan lifted up his heel against the Lord. And you know why? It's because of our sins. It's because of Eve's sin. Because of Adam's sin. But you and I are not guilty of the sins of Adam and Eve. They're guilty of their own sins. True enough, when they sinned, there came a terrible fall in man. And we're a fallen being. And we have tendencies towards sin. And the moment we come to the age of knowing right from wrong, and choose, instead of choosing right, we choose wrong. Nobody ever had to teach anybody how to lie. No one has ever had to teach anybody how to steal. We seem to know it by nature. Nobody ever had to teach anybody to be jealous. We know how to do it. It's just part of our old fallen nature. And Jesus came to pay the price for that fallen nature. And the heel of Satan was lifted up against him that day because of our sins. It was not the Roman soldiers that nailed him to the cross. It was not the Jews of Jerusalem who railed against him and said his blood be upon us and on our children henceforth. True enough, they did it. And the act was there recorded in the annals of history. But it was our sins, my sins and your sins that nailed him to the cross. And now, and now, part of that promise has been fulfilled. I will put enmity between thee and the woman between thy seed and her seed, thou shalt bruise his heel. But he will bruise thy head. And ladies and gentlemen, that part has not been fulfilled. Satan has been lifted up against the Lord. A part of that promise was fulfilled at Golgotha. When Jesus cried out from the tree, it is finished. The work of salvation is finished. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And in that moment, God the Father and God the Son made an eternal agreement that whosoever would believe in Jesus would not perish, but have everlasting life. And so, as far as Satan is concerned, he began to shudder. He began to be afraid. I think during the earthly ministry of Jesus, when that old tyrant came and tried to tempt Jesus and say, if you're really the son of God, cast yourself down. It is written, he will take care of you and give his angels charge over thee. Not one foot, not one bone will be hurt or broken. And beside that, you've gone 40 days without any food. Here's a piece of stone. Cause it to be a piece of bread and everybody will believe you because of that miracle. The audacity of Satan saying that to the Lord of heaven and earth. And Jesus said, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. 
man shall not live by bread alone. And in those wonderful experiences of temptation, Jesus gave us the victory that we don't have to yield. We can have victory. But if we do sin, there is cleansing and forgiveness in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, Satan got afraid. He began to tremble. And when they succeeded in taking the life of Jesus at Golgotha, and I don't know that that's the right way to say it. The scripture says, Jesus, quoting Jesus, no man takes my life, I give it. And while he was dying on the cross, the gospel narrative is careful to say, he yielded up the ghost. That is, they didn't murder Jesus. He sent his spirit away. But he was dead. And all the glee of the devil and all the hosts of hell rejoiced. We have won. We have won. We have won. God is defeated. And Satan is victorious. And over and over again through the years of recorded history, that's been said in election times when the forces of evil seem to win, when we vote legal alcohol back in and say, take it any way you want to, drink it any way you want to. It doesn't make any difference. I heard somebody say, there's nothing worse about drinking alcohol than there is about eating overeating. I want to ask you, which would you rather meet on the highway? Somebody who weighs two or 300 pounds or somebody who's dead drunk? They go down the highway killing people all the time. And Satan won, wins victories in that. And over and over again, there's victory after victory that Satan seems to have won. But those are only, only skirmishes. The battle isn't over yet. But when they had Jesus dead, can't you imagine the glee of hell? That first night, well, we got him. He's dead. We got him. Early the next morning, somebody said, hey, have you still got that fellow Jesus? Yeah. Nobody ever got away from death. The next morning, hey, have you still got that fellow Jesus? Yeah. Nobody ever got away from death. On the third morning, hey, have you still got that fellow Jesus? No, he got away. Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with the saints to reign. Christ arose and is victorious. Jesus is alive now. Satan is really afraid. But still, Satan seems to have some skirmishes. He seems to be able to win some battles. But I want you to turn in your Bible to 2 Peter chapter 3. You know, I like to read mysteries. I don't have a lot of time to do it, but I like to. And I have to admit that I cheat in mysteries. I turn to the last chapter and find out who done it. And then I turn back and try to figure out how he concealed it so well. 
But we've turned to the last of the book. And we know where the victory really lies. In chapter 3 of 2 Peter, listen to this. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then was being overflowed with water perished, but the heavens and the earth, which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some men count slackness, but his long suffering to, to us were not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are in them shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy living godliness, looking for that and hasting unto the coming of the day of the God, in which the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Now, the scoffers come and say, well, where's the promise of this coming of this great Jesus? You see, after he rose from the dead, he appeared to the disciples for a little while, and then he met them on the mountain, and he said, go ye into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I am with you, I am there with you. And then as he went up, those disciples kept watching, just kept looking, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. They were all struck. And God sent an angel, maybe two of them, and they said, hey, why are you standing gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus whom you've seen go into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go. He's coming again. The second part of Genesis 3.15 has not been fulfilled yet. He is coming again, and there's coming a day when the King of kings and Lord of lords shall reign forever and ever. Turn in your Bible to Ch Revelation chapter 11, and look at verse 15 for just a moment. In Revelation 11, verse 15, and the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and forever. Do you know when this was said? It was said while Antichrist was ruling the world, right in the middle of it. And all of a sudden, the seventh angel appears and he says, now look, the whole story isn't over. The kingdom of this world is become. It does not say will become, is become, because it's using prophetic present tense to say something that is going to happen as if it had already happened. An example of that is in Isaiah 53, seven to eight hundred years before Jesus was born, 
He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace is upon him and with his stripes we're healed just as if it already happened. With God there is no past or future. It is one timeless event. And already the victory has been won in the kingdoms and courts of heaven. And so the angel announces the kingdom of this world, which is Satan's, is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And every time since the 1600s, when Handel put the great music, the texts of these prophecies into music, and then presented that hallelujah chorus, and all of these years, the thousands of times that has been sung what they're announcing when the choir sings that is hallelujah for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth for the kingdom of this world is become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever still a prophetic future yes we haven't seen it all occur yet but we know because we've read the last chapter of the book turn your Bible to Revelation chapter 19 Revelation chapter 19, and we see the fulfillment of that promise. Verse 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies that were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven, Come, gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and captains, and mighty men, and horses, and them that sit on, and the flesh of all men, both free and enslaved, small and great. And I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, which, with which he had deceived them that had received the mark of the beast, and them that worshiped the image. These both were cast into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. You know what that's saying? That promise made in Genesis 3.15. Satan, you will bruise his heel. One day he will crush thy head. That promise was not broken. It has not been broken. We haven't seen it completely fulfilled. We've seen enough down payment. It's like when you get saved. You know, you, when you get saved, you're, you're not taken immediately to heaven. What happens is the earnest of God's sweetness comes into your life in the Holy Spirit. And he whispers, you're God's child. You're God's servant. 
you are heaven bound. And that's the reason we can sing these songs about heaven and rejoice. Wonderful grace of Jesus and all the wonderful truths. When we've been there 10,000 years bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun because the earnest of the Holy Spirit whispers in our heart, amen, amen. That's your heritage as a child of God. And when you meet Satan along the way, remember the battle has already been won in heaven. The victory has already been announced. The score has already been posted. Jesus is victor. The promise was not broken. Now in the meantime, what are we going to do about it? So what? First of all, if you've never been saved, you need to get on the winning side. You see, the Bible says by nature we're children of wrath. We're children of the devil. We were not born children of God. Oh, there's a sense in which everyone was made by God. He's the creator. But the Lord specifically says that he is the savior, especially of those who believe, who trust him. And Jesus said, one day said to those who were without, without Christ, outside of the pale of faith, he said, you're of your father, the devil. And so men and women and boys and girls who have never been redeemed, regenerated, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit are lost on their way on Satan's team to spend eternity away from God. And doesn't make any difference how many times you're baptized or how many churches you join or how good you are, how many good deeds you do, how many good songs you sing. If you've never been changed on the inside, you've never been born again of the Spirit of God. And you're still in Satan's clutches. Tragedy of tragedies. But I have good news for you tonight. There's life for a look at Jesus. And if you'll turn to him and just say, Lord, I need you. I want to repent of all my sins and ask you to come into my heart and be my savior. He'll do that. He'll change everything about you. If you are saved, if you know Christ, then remember, you're on the victory side. Live like it. You're on the victory time. Walk like it. You're on the victory side. Have an attitude like it. The believer can be joyful even in the face of deep, deep sorrow. Because he's on the victory side. He's on the winning side. If you came here tonight defeated and discouraged and you have problems and you have all kinds of things eating away at you and you don't know what to do about them and you worry and you're filled with anxiety, I have good news for you. There's life for a look at Jesus and there's renewment in Christ when you come back and bring your fears and your worries and your phobias and your anxieties and cast them at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, you've already won the battle. Genesis 3.15, I've read the last chapter you're going to be victorious. Satan did lift up his heel against you. He's lifted up his heel against me. But I know that you have crushed his head. And Satan no longer has that ultimate power in my life. Paul added, therefore, let not sin reign in your mortal body to obey the lust thereof. Because you're not under the law, you're under grace. 
Where do you stand tonight? Do you have Jesus abiding and living as a reality in your life? Do you know him and love him and live for him? There's victory in Christ. We're going to sing in a moment, victory in Jesus. There's victory in Christ. God doesn't want us to stumble along and live compromising, convictionless lives and curl up in a knot and die and just fade away. He wants us to be victorious, get back in the battle and keep on keeping at it. I would dare say there's not one person within the sound of my voice tonight who has not failed God since you were saved. Is there anybody here who would testify, I have never failed God since I was saved. Lift your hand. We've all failed him. What do you do about those failures? Quit? Get defeated? Get discouraged? No, you remember that Christ is the victor. There's victory in Christ. And you can get back in the game. You don't have to sit over on the bench. You don't have to quit. You can get going again because there's victory in Christ. He cleanses, he forgives, and he's the victor. We're not, he is. And everybody that is in Christ is in the victory way. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this glorious time tonight of praising the King, singing about you and praising you. And now we thank you for the promise that was not broken. You kept every promise. <clears throat> and Lord, we thank you that we can look in the book and find that you've also kept that promise you made in the first few chapters of Genesis. And it's as if it is already accomplished. There is victory in Jesus. Thank you, Father. Help us to tune into that victory during this month of December and walk with the King through the avenues and the weeks that come until we go on out into another year and another year and another year and then we march on home victorious in Christ. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, please. Is that 190? 290. 290. <coughs> Page 290. Will you turn there, please? There's victory in Jesus. Now, don't sing this like you're at a funeral. Sing it victoriously. If you're here this evening and you've never been saved, you've never really given your heart to Christ, why not come to him tonight and say, I want Jesus in my life. I want to trust him as my personal savior. If you are saved, would you start working with him and serving with him? If you've been discouraged, if you've had burdens that have just gotten you down, take them to Jesus. Let him be the victory in your life. While we begin to sing, is there someone that ought to come tonight registering a commitment in heaven for the King Christ Jesus? Will you do it?